Thank you, Daryl, for those thoughts. Uh, my mind was drawn in multiple directions today and, or in relation to this evening. Um, I will say right on the onset that some of the thoughts that I'm sharing this evening are uh, from an article that I read in um, Christianity Today sometime in the last year. I can't tell you when. And uh, while it's certainly not based on that, some of the ideas uh, from that article uh, really resonated with me as I thought about communion. Imagine with me for a bit that you received a personal, uh, embossed invitation from the most admirable, powerful, influential person you can imagine. Uh, and for all of us, that's probably someone different, but just uh, the most amazing person that you can think of. How would you respond if you received an invitation like that? Would you say, well, you know, I really need to check my calendar? Um, uh, or maybe I should decline because I have something else scheduled that day with my friends doing my favorite activity? Or I'm just simply too busy? Um, or would you immediately accept and cancel whatever conflicts there would have been? I think most of us would do the latter. I mean, that would just be uh, the response. <clears throat> but think about it. You know, how would you respond upon seeing your name on a personal guest list from God himself? What is our response to that? And, you know, I don't have any question knowing all of you here this evening, we would abruptly cancel our plans, uh, whatever plans we had, and even without much thought, we would do whatever it took to be there uh, to meet God. And I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 24 this evening. We'll get to communion or the Lord's Supper here eventually, but I'm not just focusing on that this evening, but some aspects around that. <clears throat> Several chapters prior to Exodus 24, the people of Israel, um, except Moses, were warned to stay away from the Mount, Mount Sinai and um, because God was going to be coming down to the mountain in fire. And it happened. Uh, they were in awe. They were terrified. I'm not exactly what all the adjectives that are used in the response of the people. They kept away. The mountain was shrouded in smoke and fire, um, and the entire mountain shook violently. And during that time, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments up on the mountain, and along with a bunch of other instructions in uh, chapters 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Then chapter 24 begins with God speaking to Moses, and listen, I had, until recently, I had not noticed this. Then he, God, said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, and Nabad, Dab, Medab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. And then this is a bit of a narrative of what happened before they went. Um, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words of the Lord 
all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, twelve and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant of the Lord has made with you in all the accordance of these words. So here, it's like the words that God had spoken is a covenant with them. And he, uh, the blood was a way of sealing that covenant with the people. Then verse 9, then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and they ate and drank. So it just strikes me as amazing. These 73 men were chosen and went up in the mountain with Moses and at his personal invitation. And it says they saw God. Uh, I don't know exactly what that all means. And we don't know why these specific 70 unnamed men were chosen or even the, I guess Aaron was Moses' right-hand man. But, the, you know, I don't know exactly why these specific men were chosen. But they were chosen and invited right into the very presence of God. And it seems almost like God, it was God's way of validating between him and man that covenant that he had made with Israel, that the, Israel had responded to uh, so favorably. <clears throat> but these 73 men and Moses accepted the invitation. They went up to the mountain and came close to God, and they saw the God of Israel. Exactly what they saw we don't know. Uh, I wish we knew a little bit more. Um, I would, just from what it says, I suspect that it may have been some human-like form because it says that under his feet were pay, uh, pavement of sapphire that was clear. But we don't know that. And also, God did not touch them. That is specifically stated or lay his hands on them. But he did see them. They saw him and ate and drank in his presence. How long that meal lasted, I don't know. But I have no doubt in my mind that this invitation, this appointment, this encounter, this meal was something these men never forgot. Um, Imagine 20 years later them reminiscing together about what that was like. And I'm sure that it brought vivid vivid memories of that day. So transitioning a bit to the Lord's Supper. So we're here tonight to remember Jesus' death on the cross. And we're doing so as a group, together, reflecting on, communing with Jesus Christ. And, you know, the Lord's Supper, what we're doing here this evening, isn't like 
uh, you individually grabbing a photo album off of a shelf and just sitting down and personally reminiscing. It's very different than that. It happens, the remembering truly happens in the context of community. It's when we do it together um, with, with Jesus Christ and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, memories are far more vivid when you share those memories with others and not just alone. Um, I can't think, but you know, if you think back of something funny or silly or dumb that you did in your teenage years, you can kind of remember that and might chuckle a little bit. But if the person that you did that with, if the two of you are communicating about that, it's just a lot, lot more interesting, a lot more vivid, and a lot more funny. And I think that that's a lot what this, not in a humorous way, but in a meaningful way, it, it's just so much more powerful when we do it in community rather than uh, alone. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 and 17. <clears throat> the cup of blessing that we bless is not, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The King James would use the word communion instead of participation. But I think that those two words, each of those words have their strengths in what it communicates. But it's something done in community or done together. You can't participate alone. You participate with others. Uh, you can't commune alone. You do that in the context of others. And the Lord's Supper really is a communal meal at its nature. Jesus instituted it together with his disciples, not alone. The group of 74 men ate and drank with God on Mount Sinai together, uh, not alone. And we are not simply sharing uh, this supper together, but because God is here also. And I mean, and that's a part that, you know, do we sometimes... We know it, but do we think about it? Is, it? is it something that we're actually thinking about? Our host, our, the person that invited us, Jesus Christ invites his bride to join him at the table. And he offers us the bread and the cup himself. For those of you that are married, um, what do you enjoy doing to celebrate your anniversary? Um, there's probably a lot of answers, but I, I suspect that for most of us, a nice dinner at a restaurant is one way that we like to celebrate. I'm not saying we always do, but it's a good way to celebrate. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you, when you're celebrating your anniversary, do you go in, do you expect the dinner to create the emotion of love between the two of you? Or do we enjoy the dinner because of the love? And I think that that is uh, a picture of what communion is a bit. And to think about that, that we're doing this not to create some kind of a warm emotion toward us, but we're doing it because we love Christ. Um, this past June, for our anniversary, we spent a couple of days away. And with COVID, uh, restaurant options were limited. 
after a good long bike ride together on the CNO Canal, we were coming back across the bridge of the Potomac River into Shepherdstown, West Virginia, and we saw this, these attractive Swiss-like buildings up on the other bank, and we're like, what is that? And we saw the sign, and it said the Bavarian, um, Bavarian Inn and Resort. And um, so we pulled in, and we're like, I wonder if they have a rest, or what kind of a restaurant, and so we asked about eating there, and they said, well, it's by reservation only. So we made reservations for later that night for the two of us to return after we had a chance to clean up and, uh, and have a special dinner together for our anniversary. You know, we made reservations for two. Why? Well, there's two of us. And um, celebrating a wedding anniversary by yourself doesn't make sense. Uh, it doesn't. And I know my wife wouldn't appreciate it, and I wouldn't really enjoy it either. But, uh, you know, we made reservations for two. An anniversary is a time to remember the vows that we made to each other on our wedding day and our ongoing commitment to each other. And as we remember that, think back on that, think about what's transpired over the years, what's happening in the present, uh, it creates an anticipation for the future as well. And, um, and remembering our wedding day and our anniversary is far more powerful together than doing so individually or separately or alone. And, you know, the number of anniversaries we've had and remembered together doesn't in any way diminish the another opportunity the next year to do it again. It just doesn't diminish it. If anything, it makes it better. And we can anticipate. You know, a lot, and it's very, it's predictable, and yet it's exciting. It's something to look forward to. It's, it's something we anticipate again and again. And I think that there's a lot of parallels with that with the Lord's Supper and what we're doing here tonight. The fellowship within the body of Christ is a present tense experience and reality, even as we reminisce and contemplate and talk about the same past, and then the same past as well as future realities that are there, those constants, the cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection, those are all things that happened in the past. They're the same every time, kind of like our wedding vows. But then we also anticipate the future, the return of Christ. So there's nothing new, there's nothing original about communion, but that reality is what makes it meaningful and, and sweet in so many ways. And when we start shifting our focus away from Jesus Christ and what he did for us, his death on the cross, his resurrection and his promised return, and then you, the Lord's Supper becomes one of these futile human attempts at trying to conjure up some kind of a spiritual or emotional high uh, to do this. And that's really not what he wants because God, we don't need to fabricate anything. Uh, it's not a spirit for Jesus to come meet us. I mean, because he's here. He's communing with us. He wants, he's inviting us here. He wants to be here because of what he did on Calvary. It's an old story, but it's one that we as believers in the church benefits from hearing and talking about again and again and remembering. Jesus doesn't need to renew his vows because he always keeps his promises. Uh, the church, his bride, us, 
we aren't always faithful, but Jesus invites us to his table. He loves us, and he did so even before we deserved it. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. He gives us the redemption we don't deserve. Uh, the Lord's Supper is not about us or about what we, we do or what we have done. It's about what God has done and continues to do. Because reality is we deserve punishment from God, but he sits at the table beckoning us to join him. He reminds us that he suffered and died in our behalf, and yet he says, take and eat. We deserve separation from God. He reminds us that his blood covers our sins and has forgiven us. He says, take and drink. And I would venture to say that all of us at times have come to the Lord's table maybe a bit uneasy. We know that we've not been faithful to him. We know that we've sinned and we aren't sure if we should. But Jesus is sitting at the table, beckoning us with love and affection and just inviting us to come. And even as we gather, Jesus' perfect love for us is then a motivation and it reignites our faltering and imperfect love. And while it's important that we examine ourselves, no way want to diminish that, let's make sure that we also gaze upward into the eyes of the Savior. So as we're gathered here tonight, <clears throat> reflecting on what Christ has done for us in the past and the joyous fellowship and communion in the present, we also anticipate an even more spectacular communion with Jesus in the future. Um, 1 Corinthians 11:26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is something that we will keep doing until he returns. So the Lord's Supper is an anticipation of something to come. It's a looking forward to, a longing for the return of Christ. The bride, his church, is eagerly awaiting the groom to make his appearance. I'd like to close out here with uh, reading from Revelation 19. <clears throat> first 10 verses. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude of heaven crying out, <clears throat> Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his saints. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God and was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne a voice came saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, his servants who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah. For our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. 
for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. <clears throat> we are invited by God to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And imagine the lavish supper, lavish spread at this ultimate marriage supper, a marriage feast. What we have now is simply a might say an appetizer or a reminder, a tiny taste, because there's so much more to come. And we are on God's guest list, each one of our names, and we're invited to that spectacular marriage supper with the Lamb. The bride, the church, us, we will take a seat, but not by, the church won't sit down by herself. Why? Because the groom has already made reservations for two and will be there to meet his glorious bride and to join his glorious bride at the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And together, we will feast and celebrate and remember. And this is just uh, a way of me thinking about this that I don't always think about, but that God is inviting us to the table to give us these emblems as demonstration of his love for us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your care for us. Thank you for your shed blood on the cross, your death and resurrection. Thank you that you're coming again and you have invited us to join you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I pray this evening that you would just again remind us of the uh, incredible blessing and gift we have of being personally invited by you to join you at the table, at the Lord's Supper. Just ask that you would bless our time together here this evening, that it could be encouragement for all of us and a way of, of deepening our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.